the physiology of it is absolutely fascinating. But in short, it's a way of getting oxygen to people who have very narrow critical airways. The ability to oxygenate the patient after they've been rendered apneic as part of the anesthesia process is something that has been a major game changer. Welcome to the final episode of Series 4, BLA Connections, A Clear Voice. I'm your host, Natalie Watson, and it has been a pleasure to bring you the discussions of this series directly to you. We have covered the management and patient's journey of airway stenosis, persistent throat symptoms, the ageing voice, and overview of the Cutting Edge Conference, AI in Laryngology, and we end this series with how to oxygenate our patients whilst operating on the larynx under general anaesthetic. We're delighted to welcome Professor Reza Nurai, consultant laryngologist and tracheal surgeon at Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham, to talk about Thrive and to talk about other tubeless ventilation methods. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Natalie. It's lovely to have you back. So today we are going to be talking about Thrive. So really, what is Thrive? Thrive is an acronym. It stands for Transnasal Humidified Rapid Insufflation Ventilatory Exchange. And it is a method of ventilating patients who are under general anesthesia, under conditions of muscle paralysis. For many of us who had the privilege of working with Professor David Howard at the Royal National Throat, Nose and Ear Hospital, his words ring in the ear that you have all the time in the world to put a scope in as long as it's less than three minutes. And Thrive in some ways was inspired by that comment. How it came about was by us, Dr. Patel from Royal National, being given some high flow nasal oxygen cannulas by a company called Fisher & Paykel. I was a registrar at RNTNE at the time, and we were interested in delivering apneic oxygenation, which is filling the throat with oxygen, which had been shown that it increases the time to desaturation. And what we found, in fact, was that we were getting, in these very difficult airways, considerably longer apnea times before the patient desaturated. And in fact, they were not desaturating. But not only that, the amount of carbon dioxide that was being measured at the end of the procedure was about a third less than what you would expect it should be if someone wasn't being ventilated. And of course, these were paralyzed patients. So from that, we went into a search to try and identify why that happened. And the acronym THRIVE is to emphasize the ventilatory exchange element of this. The physiology of it is absolutely fascinating, but in short, it's a way of getting oxygen to people who have very narrow critical airways and are under conditions of apnea because we are trying to secure the airway for them. So before we move on to algorithms and different methods, let's just focus a little bit more on Thrive and tell us any tips and tricks. One is that there needs to be a patent airway from the glottis to the lips. And in practice, what that means is either having a laryngoscope in soon, and it doesn't have to be looking at their larynx, it just needs to be an outflow conduit. Or before that happens, to maintain a good jaw thrust to make sure that vortex of 
oxygen going quickly through the nose and coming back through the mouth and then being exchanged at the larynx isn't disrupted. And the second most important tip is to keep the patient head up. The more, the better. When I start cases on Thrive, if we are actively not using the microscope or needing to operate, I have the patient at 45 degree inclination. And I try to operate on as high an inclination as it is possible. And that would mean tricks like putting the head of the patient right to the edge of the bed, having microscopes that you can adjust the eyepiece on so you operate at a different angle. The thing that stops Thrive working is compression atelectasis, the abdominal content pressing the diaphragm and reducing the exchange surface of the lungs. So basically you're bending them in the middle so that their hips are just like you would with a like a reflux patient, that's what you'd advise, they're kind of bending in the middle so that their shoulders are higher than the hips. Absolutely. And it works well for people with COPD that you would not expect or asthma, but it works considerably less well in people with underlying lung fibrosis. So it's not been quite so effective as one might have thought in acute phases or in florid lung fibrosis with COVID. That's an area to be mindful of. Just actually while we're on that topic, which patients would you not choose for Thrive? If they have base of skull fracture, and I'm concerned about the possibility of pneumocephalus, so in a polytrauma setting, I would do that very cautiously. The literature and the thought process around aerosol generating potential of high flow nasal oxygen thrive has changed and the benefits on the main outweigh the risk if everyone is well protected with PPE, if AGP is a consideration. We know that it works less well in morbid obesity, but if you have a minute to achieve endotracheal intubation or secure the airway, or if you have two minutes to do it, and that's all the benefit you got from the Thrive, that's still a minute of a patient not desaturating. So unless I'm worried about doing some serious damage and that's base of a skull fracture, I tend not to put airway patients to sleep unless they have Thrive on. Do you have an algorithm as to which cases you use Thrive for versus other tubeless methods versus MLT? There are two reasons why you would use Thrive. One is for procedural ventilation. So your expectation is that you are going to ventilate the patient this way throughout the procedure. And the other is a way of extending apnea time before desaturation until you secure an alternative method of ventilation. So you don't use Thrive for every case, but you would be aided by it to perioxygenate the patient for the vast majority of shared airway cases. A Thrive procedure is a procedure that is usually about in the half an hour ballpark. So things like panendoscopies, microlaryngoscopy and biopsies. Of course, we do far fewer injections in the sleep patients now than they used to, but still they happen. So things like in vocal cord injections, those are the sweet spot cases for Thrive all the way through. In terms of the airway stenoses, I start the procedure with them. And then there's quite a lot that you can do on Thrive. Your steroid injection, if you're doing cold steel, then that balloon dilation. I don't use laser and Thrive almost under any circumstances. I know the evidence on this is divided. Anil and I 
we started using that, but there were concerns about the risk of fire. And we took those comments on board. So we don't use laser and thrive together. If you need to do that, you go to a different method of ventilation, which typically is supraglottic jet ventilation. Taking it again one step back, you're having your airway management wise. Let's think of two groups of patients, patients with acutely threatened and compromised airways who come through A&E. Every one of those gets Thrive in my book, unless there's a really good reason not to, and that just means base of a skull fractures and you're worried about pneumocephalus. You may continue with it or you may change to another method of ventilation. And that method of ventilation may be an awake tracheostomy that is supported by high flow nasal oxygen. It may be awake to kill intubation. It could be suspension laryngoscopy. But if you can put the patient to sleep, you put them to sleep on Thrive when they are critically compromised. If you can't put the patient to sleep, you do your awake tracheostomy, your awake intubation on Thrive. That's pretty set in my thinking around that, and a lot of people. If you are dealing with sort of an elective shared airway situation, you don't necessarily use Thrive in every single case, but if you're anticipating that the airway might be difficult, then you you do. If the procedure is one that you could complete it in 25, 30 minutes, you may start them, put them to sleep on Thrive and use it throughout the procedure. If not, if you're dealing with a cyst, for example, an anterior pathology, you know you're going to be there for an hour, two hours, you may just go ahead and intubate the patient in the standard way. And Professor Zaitels talks about the internal extension that an endotracheal tube gives. So for a lot of the phono work, I use endotracheal tube and don't go tubeless. Supraglottic jet ventilation is the other main thing that I use. And the majority of those are for a stenosis patients after you've done the first bit on Thrive. That's more or less it. Can we put the patient to sleep? If it's a no, then we are in awake tracheostomy territory. If it's a yes, precariously, it still goes to sleep on Thrive. And do I need the still cord in two hours or an hour and a half to do the operation? Endotracheal intubation. Is it a short procedure, either Thrive or jet ventilation? Do you have any preferences with your jet? Until I met Twinstream, I was very fond of the old Mistral machine we had at the Royal National Throat Nose Ear Hospital. But now I've met Twin Mode, then it's brilliant. Another piece of kit that is coming up is the tri-tube and Yvonne ventilator, which utilizes a different method or a different physiology of ventilation. But from our point of view, you can ventilate the patient through a three and a half millimeter endotracheal cuff tube. And where I found it particularly helpful on one occasion was someone with a compressive mediastinal lymphoma that you couldn't be confident once the patient goes to sleep that you know everything wouldn't collapse around it. And you could do a distal intubation with it, put the patient to sleep and then put a stent in. And that worked extremely well. So there are new things coming onto the market in terms of airway management. And that's why, you know, particularly in laryngology, I know there's lots of things coming in the market to all different specialties, but it's nice to hear of them first, the BLA podcasts. The first person who did it was Imran Ahmed at Guy's Hospital, who described the use of an awake tracheal complex airway intubation with a tri-tube. But following on his example, we used it very successfully a couple of times. Excellent. And he's a brilliant anaesthetist. Indeed. So is there anything else you want to mention about Thrive or your algorithms or any final thoughts or take-home messages? 
I think in using both tubed and tubeless techniques, trying to understand the anatomy of laryngoscopy and how it is that a sharp angle is converted into a straight line that we use for surgical access is something that's worth giving some thought to. In terms of safety of managing airways, particularly acutely compromised airways, the ability to oxygenate the patient after they've been rendered apneic as part of the anesthesia process is something that has been a major game changer in our ability to manage difficult airways. The one tip I would give, which we've discussed before, is to make sure the patient is on as high an angle of inclination as it is possible to do, especially when you are not actively operating. That's when you lose it. And by keeping the patient head up as much as possible, we extend that precarious time that we have before we can secure an airway. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for providing such a good summary of the functions and indications for Thrive and the algorithm that's been used, that you use for your airway management. So thank you very much for sharing. Thank you. So we hope you have enjoyed listening. This has been BLA Connections, a clear voice. I've been your host, Natalie Watson. Our full series can be found in the podcast provider of your choice, or you will find all stored on our BLA Connect app for easy access. We would also love to hear from you. Please feel free to email with any topics you would like us to explore, any questions you have, along with any suggested experts you would like to hear from. Also, if you would like to contribute to these podcasts, please email inquiries at britishlaryngological.org. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found our podcast informative. Please remember to subscribe and do leave a review with your podcast provider. We do appreciate your likes, subscribes, and reviews.